Welcome filmmakers, aspiring filmmakers, film students, and run-of-the-mill movie buffs to the Master the Workflow podcast with me, your host, Lawrence Jordan. This is the place where we tear down the celluloid curtain and talk with the wizards, magicians, the invisible artists, as they're sometimes known, of the professional film editing and post-production universe. This week on our flagship episode, we're super pumped to have film editor Julian Smirk. Working his way up from PA, that's lowly production assistant for those who just landed on Earth, Jules has gone on to be an assistant editor on mega films like Mission Impossible 3, Star Trek, and Star Trek Into the Darkness, Super 8, and a small independent project you might not have heard of, Star Wars, The Force Awakens. Just kidding about that indie thing. And now, without further ado, let's get some hardcore filmmaking insight from today's guest, Julian Smirk. Hey Jules, I'm really glad to be with you here today, and I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. Uh, I think a lot of people who uh, follow our you know, website and blog and are in the course are really interested in, you know, what a professional like yourself does and, and how you got there. So, you know, I just want to start out with, uh, you know, kind of like the beginning. What inspired you to enter the film industry? Well, um, going back to the beginning, let's try and make this more fun and interesting if I can. Um, okay. Uh, years ago, I was born. Uh, no, <laughs> kidding. So uh, let's see. Uh, where do I start? I started the film industry work uh, in Vancouver, Canada. That was my intro to the film industry. And, um, you know, I moved from Australia years ago, uh, moved to Vancouver and got a sort of a very great learning experience. And it was a ton of hard work being a PA on set in mostly the locations department. And up there at the time, they just, um, threw you to whatever job needed to be done, uh, for any department. So it was anything from, you know, setting up the lunch tent for the entire crew and breaking it down, or it was, uh, you know, standing in crew park, you know, a bit of security detail to wrangling actors out of trailers to get them on set to locking up the set on location in the middle of a, a uh, busy, you know, intersection at a, in the middle of the city. Uh, so it was, a, it was a mixture of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So you were, um, you were a part-time traffic cop also. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. You had to do a course to actually do that job as well, or, or a few of them even. Um, but, uh, but it was a great learning experience. Um, it's uh, sort of got to, you got to see on set what everybody does. And, and a lot of it was really unappealing to me. Um, it, it's, you know, I've been, grow, grew up my whole life being a huge movie fan and loved watching films. And, um, uh, I never went to film school or anything. My background of, of education, a lot of studies and stuff was, was music mostly. But, um, so when I got into the film business, it was sort of an eye opener and a huge learning experience and, and was wonderful. And then, uh, ended up moving down to Los Angeles after having about a year in Vancouver and, uh, decided to try the other side of the film industry, which was post-production and, and editing specifically, because uh, it interested me. And then, um, you know, just uh, followed that path instead, because it was much more interesting and it was like storytelling and creative. And I mean, you know, there's a lot of technical side to starting out as a PA and then being an apprentice, and uh, which which somewhat is, is a job that needs to come back, I think. Um, uh, you know, in recent years, but uh, then, then as an assistant editor, you know, it's much more of a technical job uh, or technical jobs and technical positions in post-production. And then, you know, really tried to never had, never sort of lost that um, drive or edge where I really wanted to be doing something creative, uh, even through all the technical learning of, of that side of the job. And that, that technical learning is very important because you then get this sort of fully grounded, grounded understanding of, you know, the process and, and what needs to be done and, and, and you know, how, how much involvement there is on different departments in post-production as well. And Yeah, I want to get into the, the technical in a little bit, but a lot of people who, you know, who follow our, our site, uh, you know, they're really, they are at that starting point. And um, this might, I don't know if you remember this, but... You started as a PA up in Vancouver. How did you land that job? 
Um, yeah, you have to think outside the box because there's so many people competing for the same job. So at the time, um, <laughs> wow, you're digging deep here, Larry. This is awesome. Um, so, uh, so my wife, Kristen, and a, a very good friend of ours, Hallie, uh, who we're all from Perth, Australia, we all moved over to Vancouver together just to have the experience and do something different and interesting. Um, the three of us were uh, living in a shared apartment and um, we all wanted to dive into this. So um, I'm not sure whose idea it was. It might have been Hallie's. I can't take credit for it, but um, uh, or it may have been Kristen's. Um, but uh, we decided to sell ourselves as a trio of PAs. <laughs> wow. And um, we basically, you know, because this location department PA uh, hiring up there at the time, I don't know if it's changed now, it was, this is many, many years ago. Um, uh, at the time, they were always looking for several PAs to like fill positions for shows. And what better way to do that than calling one phone number and getting three people on their show if they needed a, a big crew like in a, in a pinch. Team so, effort. you know, this was sort of old school, but we did the, you know, the resumes on, you know, on some cardstock and we, you know, we, you know, hit the pavement and we just basically put out a ton of resumes out there with, with all three of us on the resume and um, front and back. And, and of course, we always had the proviso at the bottom with a little star at the bottom that said can be sold separately. <laughs> um, so so maybe that got their attention up there to like get us jobs. But it took a while. Like it, it always takes a long time at the beginning when you start and you're completely impatient and you want something and you're hungry to get a job and you know you'll do a good job. But you just have to be persistent and and um, never lose sight of, of the bigger picture. And, and uh, you, you get sort of many knockbacks and you just have to keep going and keep trying. It's really about not worrying about that and just moving forward. Yeah, persistence is, is a key character trait that uh, helps people who want to get into uh, post-production, specifically features and TV. That was great uh, outside-the-box thinking uh, on, on you, you guys' part, so uh, you know, kudos yeah. for that. Um, so you worked as a production assistant, and it was a non-union position, without yeah. really like a great path into editorial, right? Or the guild, even. Yeah, um, exactly. So... Can you talk about how you, you said you went on to become an apprentice when you moved down to L.A.? Talk about how you made that transition. Um, well, that, uh, you know, it felt like an eternity at the time. And that, again, comes down to everybody who's listening, who's starting out, is going to feel very similar, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, where, where you're starting out, you really, you know, you take a PA position if you can even get that job in the first place. That's a battle in itself. So right. use your contacts, use who you know. Um, and just get your foot in the door anywhere. Don't worry about whether it's, you know, don't worry about the fact that you really want to be working on a $200 million Hollywood feature. Like, don't worry about that. You know, we all do, brother. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, you just have to get a job, seriously, and right. pay your bills and, and start learning and start pursuing what you want to do. So, um, so it's definitely uh, a long path in editing, um, or at least it has been for me and it still continues. Um, and I think when you start out, you just have to, basically I did a couple of jobs as a PA and I was like, fortunate, very fortunate enough to know a few people, in, including yourself actually, um, that, that were kind enough to help at the very beginning and get, you know, throw me on a job as a PA and, you know, you just work hard and do what needs to be done for that job. And on the side or when there's in between times, you know, try to learn as much as you can from all the crew that's on the show. Like everyone, don't pick one person, do it with everybody right. <laughs> um, because everybody brings different skills. Everybody knows their job, um, you know, differently to the next person. And, and, um, you know, um, you know, and of course, you know, diplomatically in a in an editing room, you want to be able to not ruffle feathers, and and you want to do it also carefully, so that you you sort of you know become um, a person that's not only helpful to them as a crew member, but you know, a decent person who they are happy to hang out with, because we do some really brutally long hours on working in in film. Um, which is unfortunately the norm. Um, but um, it is, you know, when you're hanging out with people for that long, you want to you have a good time. Right, right. We talk about that in, in, in Mass of the Workflow. Uh, in our course, we're very specific about, you know, 
it's real important to get along with people and to, if you have an ego or a big ego, uh, to kind of check it at the door and and learn to, I mean, you're being of service, especially at the lower rung, rungs of the ladder, you know, when you're yes, a PA, definitely. you're there to meet people. Uh, people's need, yeah. needs and you're doing grunt work and you know you got to love it you got to you got to see the long game that's right exactly true um so basically did a, a couple of films as a pa and then each time i was on those films i desperately wanted to get in the union get a, an apprentice position which is you know more pay and and a union um job that has all the benefits to it as well um, was this still was this still back in the film days? Yeah, this was back in the film days. Um, wow, it was before the digital transition. You know, it was. Um, uh, I was actually uh, the the show that really did it for me to get into the union was um, I was on the Alamo at Disney, mm -hmm. and um, that feature film was um, you know it was like a, a year long gig. It was quite a long time I was on that show, and. Um, you know, it was it was um, you know as a P started on the show as a PA. Really, from the very beginning, I was just telling everybody that sort of power is out of your hands mm -hmm. with the way that I did it, because it's the power is really in the control of the studio and the editor you're working with, right. or editors you're working with, and the union and the guild itself. So I, I sort of hit the timing right somehow on that show and was lucky enough to get in. Uh, as an apprentice, like halfway through that that film, wow. um, and then you know rode the rest of the show out as an apprentice, and then start. Then I was in the union, and I took a union jobs after that, looking for work after that as as either an apprentice or an assistant, because once you're in, it doesn't matter. Now things are a lot different these days. Um, not necessarily a lot different, but they are different now. Um, where some of the things that were sort of set in place uh, later after I got in the union, you could uh, easily do now, not easily, but you can do now where you sort of need 100 days, I think it is, of non-union assistant editing work on anything. Right. Um, and then you've got to present that to the guild and, and they will be like, okay, you're ready, but you're still not in yet until somebody hires you in a union position on a TV show or or a feature or you know, whatever it is. Um, right. Um, so, so you need the job as well as getting the hundred days um, and proving the hundred days. Yes. With pay stubs that say you worked as an assistant editor, it's gotten a little bit yeah. easier, but it's still tricky. Um, but yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I don't think that the union has, has much choice. I mean, it used to be a really closed shop, but you know, yeah. you talk about, you know, making contacts as a PA and, you know, Back then, you didn't have the opportunities that you do in, let's say, like Facebook groups and, yes. you know, post chat and assistant editors of Avid. Do True. you feel like that, you know, uh, do you see that as being, a, you know, sort of an opportunity to, for people to kind of network and make and make connections that can actually, you know, sort of further their careers? Uh, absolutely. I mean, I didn't have those things when, when I started out. Um, it, it was, I, I mean, I also had a bit of a double whammy in a way because I was moving countries, not knowing anybody. So, you know, a group of, uh, you know, you start meeting people and, and, you know, become friends with friends of the, that are sort of people through people that you meet at work or people you work with. Mm -hmm. um, so, so that was, you know, t uh, again, another sort of uphill climb um, when you're starting out. Um, but, but definitely Facebook groups are very helpful. They're very, um, you know, they help you be in touch with sort of, um, you know, a sea of people out there that, that can really, um, you know, I, you know, I'm sort of of two minds of the Facebook groups. Um, Here's why. Firstly, they are very a very useful tool for the community of them and to sort of meet people virtually online. And right. you see, you know, discussions talking about editing and, and discussions uh, talking about, you know, uh, helping each other out. Those things are great and they're wonderful. And, and quite often some of these groups also have job posts, uh, which, which is also great. Um, the problem is you, you sort of might be recommending somebody for a job that you have never met before, which, right. um, you know, the human element of that is always a tricky thing because somebody might be absolutely 100% A plus so great at their job and great on the technical side, 
but you know they might not be able to hold a conversation with a person right and that that does become an issue um um, because you need sort of the balance of both of those things um and especially when you're trying to get employment especially just on a human level of working and collaborating with people because anybody who ever wants to get into film in any department you need to be a collaborator. It's not a one man or a one woman show. It yeah. never is. Right. Exactly. Um, and 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 this sort of you know leads me to my you know you know next observation of what's going on today, as opposed to when when I and and you started out even, is there seems to be a lot more networking events. Um, for example, you know. Ace holds a lot of events, uh, American Cinema Editors, where you can actually congregate. There's a group called Blue Collar Post Coalition that holds meetups. So you can meet people in person and say, hey, yeah, this this person's a good, you know, this person would be a great person to be able to work with and hang out with. they got a decent personality. Uh, they're not going to be, you know, a drag to be on a show for, you know, two, three, six, eight months uh, and what have you. So I think that just because of the proliferation of digital technology and how it's been opened up to so many more people because of it, um, you know, it's just sort of a natural evolution that, you know, you've got these Facebook groups. And yes, you you, you would definitely want to meet someone before you recommended them. And, and it seems that there are a lot of opportunities to do that if you're, you know, if you're really focused and you really want to do the gig. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, I should write some of those down, by the way. <laughs> um, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, those, those groups are, are amazing and wonderful. And People should use them as a tool um, in any way, shape, or form. I mean, but, you know, I'm saying that in a very cold-hearted, technical way. Use it as a tool to get yourself a job, um, which sounds horrible. Um, just remember the human element of that, though, it, which is, you know, you have to be a friendly person. Yeah. And, and you've got to be a little extroverted. I know a lot of editors are not. Right. Um, and you have to be, you know, a little extroverted enough and social enough to want to go and, you know, strike up a conversation in, a, in an event like that. Um, yeah. And you've got to remember everybody's in the same situation. Um, that's the one thing that can help you sort of get through those, those tough um things yeah you, know, you um, got to be uh willing to to step out of your comfort zone no no question about it absolutely absolutely and and if i had have had those opportunities to do those sort of things especially when i first moved here um i would have jumped at the chance to to sort of try to use those to to my advantage and and sort of just to meet people and then and then to you know you you sort of hope that something comes of it you know hope that a job comes about or somebody thinks of you and it's all about timing as well you know it's like you're not going to meet somebody and hit it off for the one night and then six months down the road, they're going to remember you and go, oh, I remember that person. I'm going to call them for a job. It doesn't work like that. Mm -hmm. It would work like it would only work like that if they met you and then like, I don't know, if you're lucky, three days later, a week later, they were looking for someone and remembered you for that job. Yeah. So, so you know, those are the sort of tough things when you're starting out to try to you know, it's it's just you got to pursue every avenue and try to do the best you can. And then, you know, I used to there used to be listings. They probably still have them in like the Hollywood Reporter and Variety, but they're probably all shifted online now. Right. Um, where you could subscribe and get all the films that were coming up in pre-production and in production. I used to blanketly call them, send resumes and try to talk to the production office and get them to forward my resume onto the editing department. And it was a lot of work. Yeah. Just trying to apply for jobs. Absolutely. And honestly, my success from doing that was probably zero hmm. or maybe even 1%. But hmm. I can't sit on my laurels and just hang out and just uh, not try and pursue something. No. Because you're never going to get anywhere doing that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a tough one when you start out. It's definitely – you definitely need drive and patience and um, – um, yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a little luck, a little timing, and a, a, a hell of a lot of footwork and 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 pounding the pavement. Uh, that's that's sort of the the mo uh, in in our business. And um, I, you know, obviously, you know, the proof's in the pudding. There are a lot of successful people out there that started from ground zero. So yeah. hey, let me move on to. Um, I want to talk a little bit about you know. Uh, the technical aspect. And, you know, we know that, you know, assisting is a much more technical, uh, you know, sort of role than actually 
editing. Um, but a lot of people, because there are so many nonlinear packages out there, you know, they start cutting when they're in grade school these days, you know. And by the yeah. time they've come out of high school and college, you know, they're, they're masters at Final Cut Pro or Premiere, and maybe they've even fooled around in the Avid. Um, yeah. You know, so a lot of people just think that they're just going to come out here or wherever they are, whether, you know, if it's a major production center, they're just going to get a job as an editor. But, you know, we know, uh, you know, having worked in the industry, you know, that it doesn't work that way, that there is a natural progression from apprentice or post-production PA now to assistant to some, most of the time associate editor, additional editor to editor. And it's yeah. a process of building yeah. these contacts and, 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 and gaining experience and becoming a craftsperson. But, you know, when you're, when you're an assistant, you, you, you really got to know the hardware and software related to our jobs. So my question to you is for someone starting out, um, you know, in the early stages of the stages of their career, how important is it that you know the Avid and and the post production workflow of a feature in general? Um, it's, it, I mean, you know, the answer to that question is um, that's it's it's a tough one with what you um, preambled that with. Um, basically, um, if you're starting as a PA, you can do what I did. I don't necessarily recommend doing what I did because it took a long time, but. Um, but you can learn on the job from other people if you get on the right crews and if you get with working with people that like you and want to help you um, and that you show enough drive and, and focus and, and everything that you can learn all this stuff on the job over, mm -hmm. over time. Mm -hmm. Now, having said that, there are a bunch of, uh, you know, kids getting out of high school or getting right out of college these days that know the programs probably better than I do. And I've been doing it for I don't know, 17 years or something now, which is insane to say that, um, you know, they'll come out and they'll know how to use, I don't know, uh, you know, Final Cut Pro, After Effects, all of these different programs, and they know what everything does. And I still don't know it all. Um, and, and one of the things to understand about it is there's differences, I guess, from the technical side to understanding and knowing the program, which it'll be a great feather in your cap if you already know that stuff wonderful um it does it, it sort of gives you the ability to sort of step forward and be confident about your knowledge on the stuff when you when you go for a job or trying to get a job once you're in the job it's very different because there's a lot of things in that program that you might not have either done before or or connected with a different program connected to the other program or a workflow between programs mm -hmm. between departments mm -hmm. all of those sort of things are sort of outside the box of 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 really the real world experience of doing it on, right. a, on a feature or a TV show. Um, so those sort of things are, you know, you can't really learn all of that. You can learn from others and you can learn from, you know, being around it and all that sort of stuff. You might not necessarily get that from, from you know, fresh out of high school or college by playing around on your laptop on the software, right. which please do that. You know, you should totally do that. Yeah, um, absolutely. If, get if comfortable I, with I, it. Yeah, if I had the ability to do that back then, I would have jumped at the, jumped at that in a heartbeat. But um, you know, this is back when Avid used to cost thousands of dollars, and yeah. um, you know, it was hundreds of thousands. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean that's true. And and um, so so nowadays it's a lot different. So yeah, you know, also don't you know be aware that it's a town. Uh, Hollywood is anyway. Living here and working in this industry, it's a town of like you know. You, you must be humble in a way as well. Like, you know, uh, because, you know, A, it makes you a nicer person. And I'm not saying calculatingly be humble. You've got to sort of live it and, and um, understand that when you jump on a show with a crew of people, these people have been doing it longer than you and they're more experienced than you. And they may not know the technical side of one little part of After Effects or or avid or something like that and uh as well as you do but they've experienced the 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 issues surrounding you know what comes up when you're working in a real working environment right you know right. so some you know uh, people might not know how to do a rebalance change list in avid when they know the program you know inside out right um so so there's little there's silly things to say like that on the technical side that you you have to be able to do those things for your job and of course there is <laughs> you know there is that <laughs> 
good old element of it where you're in the in the room somebody asks you to do it you you have no idea how to do it and you go okay great i'll get right on that and you close the door and you're like <laughs> oh my god i'm totally getting fired tomorrow because i don't know how to do this thing and then you call a friend and you call up somebody else and you call four people oh you know in a panic i need to do this thing i need to do this thing please tell me how to do it i have to understand how to do it like now right and and those moments will come right? because we all have had them and we all still have them to a certain extent. Right. Um, and, and, so, and excuse me, that, that's a perfect place for me to plug Master the Workflow because yeah. uh, that's what we are doing. I mean, you know, we are not a, 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 a pull down menu and, and button pushing course. We teach the workflow from pre-production, from, from your initial meeting with your editor all the way through final delivery, you know, of your digital master and all the points in between. You know, we talk about, you know, lists and logs and rebalancing, uh, change lists, uh, you know, and, and it's from many, many years of doing it. Uh, you know, it's a specific process and we try to cover all those points. And, and, you know, if you are a student in our course and you do get that, uh, get into that situation, you could simply refer to the lesson on that situation. Now, of course, every picture is different and we, we don't claim to cover everything in the post-production, feature post-production universe. There's always going to be some variables. That's sort of, you know, part of the beauty of it and part of the, uh, the creative aspect of it. But, you know, uh, that's what we were trying. That was the need we were trying to meet when we created the course. You know, real-world experience translated into something that's broken down into steps, tasks, processes, and you, you know, an environment. You know, how to how to handle different situations. You know, editing room diplomacy and things like that. And I certainly wish there there was a course like this when I was a kid. And, um, you, you know, I think that that's why we've had such a good reception with it. But, uh, okay, shameless plug over. No, no, that's great. I mean, it would have been wonderful to have that when I was starting out too, something like that. Um, but, you know, on a certain level, even years down the road, the, those things are extremely useful, especially in those situations like I was describing. You, you're getting told something by one of your bosses to go and do something and you, and, and you know, full well in your mind i have no idea how to do this but i've got to figure it out right and i got right. to get through it right so using those sort of tools would really help well related to that are there any other software packages besides the avid that you find integral to your work in particular do you do you mess with like after effects and things like that or are there third-party softwares that really become you know, for you um yeah, no, I'm I'm terrible. Uh, I'm the first to stand forward and say I'm awful at that sort of stuff. Um, uh, well, Avid is something you know I do. You know, well, a lot of us do mostly. Um, and and FileMaker Pro is another one that helps for the technical side of assisting because um, I don't know if they use it much on TV, but certainly in feature world, mm -hmm. it's kind of you know it's a requirement really. It's really something that um, is used on you know, having a database for all your dailies and, yes. and VFX, uh, VFX databases as well for turnovers and stuff like that. Um, you know, and, and I used to have databases as well for, for ADR sessions and for music turnovers and for DI turnovers and 3D turnovers and um, IMAX turnovers and, you know, a whole bunch of all sorts of different stuff, which is very helpful to track things. And yeah, um, yeah. Our digital code book, uh, covers all of those, um, you know, elements. It's, it's a comprehensive FileMaker data database that, you know, it, it, it's, it's sort of like the old code book that you used to do by hand on steroids. And, and yeah, yeah. You, you have to be tracking all that metadata. Right, exactly. So, so, you know, having said all that, Avid is really where it's at for me. Like, I'll do visual effects comps in Avid, and I'll do, um, you know, all the sound and music is all sort of done in Avid. I mean, if if one has the mad skills and um, is able to do After Effects and and you know pull out the program Nuke or um, you know yeah or or, um, or any of these or Maya and create your own visual effects, that's amazing. That's awesome. That's only another sort of positive step in the right direction that will help you have another skill at work um, and. Um, 
you know, and then and then also some people, it's it's rare, but some people you come across no Pro Tools when it comes to sure. sort of the even in picture editing. So yeah. that's also super helpful for for designing sound um, sound effects or just you know music editing a song or something is always a little better to do that in Pro Tools than than Avid. Um, although I've been successful enough to be able to do music editing in Avid. Um, yeah. Although, you know, it's not as as great and and doesn't dive into sort of the uh, waveform aspect of, of audio um, files uh, like Avid, uh, like Pro, Pro Tools, Tools does. Sure. But yeah. but but um, but yeah, I mean, if you if if one has those uh, skills and abilities um, with those other programs, that's only going to do you know good things for you and help and help you. Um, but you know, most features are cut in the in the sort of picture editorial department world most of them these days are cut on avid uh on media composer and then you know you get the occasional ones that are doing you know adobe premiere or something like that i i it's pretty rare though these days that i hear about that for a while you know the occasional one was doing final cut and that sort of stopped happening mm -hmm. um from what i've heard mm -hmm. um and then um you know, I, I understand Blackmagic Design has been trying to create an editing program. They probably have it out. I'm probably way behind the um, curve there. But, yeah, um, Resolve uh, Resolve 14 is 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 trying to make some inroads. But you know, I mean, you and yeah. I uh, can be very frank in that you know, Avid is is certainly the the media composer is the tool of choice for yeah. 99 percent of all feature films and, and, and television shows. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so let me ask you another question. Let's kind of segue into, you know, some of the, the films you've worked on. And, yeah. and, and, you know, you've got a pretty impressive resume. Uh, you know, uh, Mission Impossible 3, Super 8, Star Wars, The Force Awakens. But you've also worked on some, you know, some smaller budget films, The Spy Next Door and, you know, The Alamo. Those weren't, you know, such huge films. Tell me... You know, how does the budget of a film, when you're working on a hundred million dollar film, affect the pressure and the politics and the overall editing process for someone as an assistant editor? Um, gee, that's a hard one. Um, it, it, I mean, there's definitely the spectrum there. It, it, you know, the more money invested by the studio, the more pressure there is on everybody. Um, you know, uh, sure. including including you know the editors and the producers and the director and everything. So, so when you you know the 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 higher up that number gets, it definitely you know the, you feel the pressure more. Um, I, you know, I, I would say that, but you know, it depends on who you're working for and with too. I've been fortunate enough to work on a lot of J.J. Abrams films, and you know. Although Super 8 was a smaller budget than some of the other ones, it was probably one of the hardest jobs I ever did. Um, Interesting. It was just a really super compressed schedule, um, you know, from, from the start of shooting till when we were out in theaters um, with, the re with, you know, the release. It was like seven and a half months or something. It was super quick. That's pretty fast. Um, yeah, and and um, with all the visual effects that needed to be done and and screenings, you know, internal screenings that we would do and stuff like that, it was just a grueling um, lot of hours and weekends and all the all the rest of it. So that you know that just sort of sticks in my mind as as a harder one to to be on. But um, so it's not always necessarily about the number of the budget, um, although it can be. Um, but schedule plays know, a big part. Schedule plays a big part for sure. I mean, you know, on on some of the others like Star Trek and, and Star Wars: The Force Awakens, that you know they had we had long periods of time uh, from when editing started, you know, towards the beginning of or, or right at the beginning of production to when we're out in theaters or when we're done with post production to, and finished. You know, those were like a year and a half or twenty months or cl sometimes close to two years, but not quite two years. Wow. Um, being on the job. So, so there's a lot more time and, and less stress on a daily, weekly basis, but it comes and goes in waves. You know, you sort of get to hit a bench benchmark and you get to, Oh, there's a screening coming up and then you sort of ramp up again and everybody's, um, <laughs> you know, the pressure's much more on and, uh, the hours are longer and sometimes the weekends start becoming, work weekends instead of your own weekends and things like that. So it's just sort of, you know, ebbs and flows with the needs of the each individual film. Right. Um, right. Yeah. How, how many, other, uh, like, uh, let's say on The Force Awakens, how many assistants were on that crew? 
Um, well, I mean, you know, if you're including like VFX editor and VFX assistant editor and all that sort of stuff. So, so we had, uh, just trying to count them up. Um, I said, there was like seven or eight people, I guess, at an, any given time. And then we would sort of add as well. And then, um, um, and usually with the adding, it wasn't necessarily picture editorial. It was extra people to help us get through a screening, like a music editor or um, crunch time. You know, v- yeah, crunch time was you know tons of VFX artists as well doing sure. works at work sure. and trying to get us through. But um, but you know, I mean, that, you know, having said that, that seems like a relatively small crew for such a big film. Um, in a way, you know, it used to be larger when it was actual you know film on a film bench. You know, being on, I remember being on Mission Impossible Three, for example. A uh, long time ago, and and that was uh, in editing. Although they cut it on Avid, we were doing a work picture, and there was a bunch of assistants. I was one of them on a film bench, and th- that crew was like sixteen or seventeen people at wow. times. Wow! Um, yeah, sure. Just in terms of you know the assistants, and so you know it was like all hands on deck with stuff like that because it's just super labor intensive dealing with film in the in the editing. Um, room but um yeah especially when you're following along for, uh, on the avid uh, conforming yeah yeah sure. yeah exactly sure. exactly so so you know um i you know i'd say you know there was probably i don't know six seven or eight of us on on force awakens still uh, still a big crew at the time still a big yeah. crew by today's standards yeah definitely definitely i mean we even had a slightly i think for a longer period of time we had a slightly larger crew on Star Trek Into Darkness, which was the film that JJ did before Force Awakens. Part of that was um, we were trying to, well, at the at the request of JJ, we were trying to break some new ground on there, and it was like the first opportunity that Avid had given us in the software to play around with Five One, um, right. and so we started doing Five One mixes for our screenings, wow. and. Um, we, we had, you know, assistant editors coming in and doing Foley work and dialogue work. And wow. we were really trying to refine um, the, the even just the temp sound of that film. And and what was wonderful about it was one of the first times we'd seen this happen. It sort of evolved into almost a real collaboration of all these people really getting sound effects in the film that ended up in the film at the end. Wow. Um, um, and some of that, you know, that's rare, but it, it's it's it does happen more and more these days. Yes, and, I was and, um, say. yeah, yeah, and and it, um, you know, the the sound supervisors come in and always make it way better than you could ever try to. But yeah, um, no, there's a lot of magic they bring to it. But you know, like you say, there's so much more. I mean, even cutting a film in five one, I've never done it, and and now I hear people are doing it in seven one. Uh, you, you know, just wow. seems like yeah, it's it's crazy, and and you know, again, the less people on a crew maybe compared to the film days, but yeah. the kinds of things that we're doing in the cutting room, you know, everything from temp visual effects to these full blown sound mixes, uh, right? You know, and going to previews with those sound mixes quite often um, yeah. is 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 pretty. You know, it's it's what digital technology has has enabled us to do. It's given us the power to do. So, yeah. what, what was your favorite part of of like working on a Star Wars film? I mean, what was what was your favorite part of the gig? What was your least favorite part of the gig? I mean, you know, there was no. I, I'm going to preface this first of all by saying there was no least favorite part of that gig. Oh, cool! <laughs> um, it was a dream come true working on that film, and and um, it, you know, it's it's. I mean, everybody would kill to be in that position. It, you know, absolutely. Um, and, and and one of my most favorite memories of it was the very first time. Uh, when I flew over to London and was able to, for the first time, walk on a, on the set of Star Wars, I was like, what am I going to see? I don't know what this is going to be. <laughs> and I, I, I had read the script and um, this amazing script. And, and, you know, there's that there's nothing like the first moment of, of sort of, you know, having all these memories wrapped up in it, like so many of us have with Star Wars, especially uh, growing up, loving those films and, and adoring them and watching them over and over and over again. And yes. um, having it be such a massive part of everybody's life. It's a very personal thing in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, so like the, for me, one of my fondest memories of, um, and, and one of the ones that really sticks out was wa- walking on set first time. I, um, you know, walked in there with Morgan, who is J- who is JJ's assistant, who was taking me to the stage, and um, and I walked onto the set of um, the forest, and 
there's Kylo Ren and Rey about to have a lightsaber fight. <laughs> and so uh, for me, it was like the first time seeing a Star Wars set. It couldn't get much better than that. I mean, how, yeah, yeah. how awesome is that? And I could not... I will never forget it. You know, it's yeah. it's total memory burn. <laughs> never going to lose that one. That's um, so awesome. I mean, yeah. that, that's the stuff that dreams are made of. That's 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 why a lot of us get into this business. You know, the magic of making a, a movie. And and you know, as editors, we're not on set that often. And I mean, it kind of like impacts us. I think in a, like a little bit of a bigger way. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. I mean. Oh, for sure. It, it, you know, and it, and it, it it depends for all of us. There's different things that we love about films, and and ultimately the generalization of storytelling and being creative is is all why we do it. Right. Um, but there are those personal sort of triumphs um, that that if you're lucky enough to have those opportunities at some point, you know, don't don't think twice. Take it. You know, it was the sort of thing that you remember from a kid one day if i could ever do that i never thought that would happen to me but you know i just it just it ended up evolving that way and was insane like you know and and i remember hearing about it too when we were on star trek into darkness and we were we heard that jj was going to direct star wars force awakens and and i remember sort of being of two minds about it, which is insane. Like in my own head, I was like, this is amazing. I'm going to work on that film. Then I was like, whoa, whoa, hold on a second. We're still trying to finish this film. Who knows? They might not even hire me on that film. Oh, gosh. Yeah, um, yeah, so, yeah. So, so, so then, you know, then I become cautiously optimistic and, <laughs> uh, and I go, okay, well, if I end up on that film, that would be wonderful, but we'll see. <laughs> but in the back of your head, you're going, I'm going on that film. I don't care yes, what happens. Exactly. Yeah, no, no, exactly. no, but you, you do. You do have to be cautiously optimistic because you don't want to get let down. But uh, right. wow, well, right. that, that's just such an awesome story. And, and I, I, I love the fact that, uh, you know, that you went from working on little films with me to this, this major, <laughs> you know, world-affecting world project. And it's, it, it's very cool. I'm very, very, yeah, very no, proud no, of you, man. Wonderful. And uh, yeah, Larry, the, the first job I ever did in LA was with you. It yep. was right at the tail end of riding in cars with boys. Yeah, and yeah. I came to help on as a PA. I think I was only on it for the last, maybe the last three months or so. Maybe it was four months at the very end of the film. Yeah. Um, and you guys were on that for a long time before that, before yeah. I came along. Yeah, crazy and, gig. Yep. And that was my intro to the editing world. And at the time, I'd just come from Vancouver the year before. I'd, I'd experienced all the craziness on set that I mostly hated. <laughs> and and I, when I got into your cutting room with you and Richard Marks, I, I could not have been more in heaven. I was like, oh, my God, it's so easy. They, these people are inside. They're not standing in the rain for 15 <laughs> hours a day. They're not having to, like, set up hundreds of chairs and tables for the crew to eat lunch. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's just waiting for um, the lunch order. Yeah, no. I, I know. And, and my job was like, go get the lunches for everybody in the cutting room. And there was like, I don't know, 12 to 15 of you. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe not even that. And I was like, this is a piece of cake. <laughs> um, um, so, so I was kind of in heaven like the first time. And, and seeing that process, that little introduction, that little snippet on writing in Cars with Boys of being on a mixed stage. Never seen that before. Yeah. You know, and, and then seeing how you guys had cut the picture together and the sound effects were coming in and music was coming in. It was amazing. And and that was a huge learning experience. And and I loved it. And I was like, oh my God, I have to keep doing this. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I mean I feel the same way. And 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 you know, it's it's every one of these little parts. I mean, I feel the same way as an editor, you know, uh, getting on the mix stage, seeing the film come to life, you know, making a scene play, uh, you, you know, it's all these kind of little victories. They remind you of why you got into the movie business. And and you could just be yeah. the PA, you know, you could That's just right. be, you know, you can be an assistant, you can be a visual effects assistant, whatever, or an editor. And, you, you know, there's these moments that, you know, make it all worth it. And, and you know, they validate what your original intention was, uh, you know, to be a filmmaker, frankly. Yeah, and that's right. That, that's that's, that's right. good stuff. So l let me ask you about working with Marianne Brandon. Um, you guys have been working together for, for more than 10 years now. Uh, yeah. I guess it was yeah. you started on Mission Impossible 3. Yeah. Uh, you, you, can you tell us how you guys kind of like, you know, how you got in contact with her, how you met, how that, you know, getting that job, first job with her happened? Yeah, I mean, getting that job was um, uh, a definitely a turning point for me in my career. I didn't realize it at the time, but I've sort of 
also at the time really determined because before that I spent a bunch of time unemployed <laughs> for a long period of time. Oh. And that's always, you know, not so much scary anymore. But at the time it wasn't so much scary as frustrating and annoying. Yeah. Um, yeah. And um, once I got that job, which was fortunate, I was fortunate enough to get an interview for that job because of an assistant editor that Kristen and I knew her name is Paula Sui and she's, sure, um, I work with Paula. She, yeah, Paula. She, she, um, it was the timing. I, you know, I was at a friend's, a mutual friend's party and I was talking to her and she said, we, we're looking for someone. Um, do you want to come? I'll see if I can throw your name in the hat for an interview. And, you know, got to love her for that because, oh, so awesome. because, because I, um, yeah, went for the interview, spoke to Marianne and Mary Jo, you know, had a good enough interview that um, they decided to hire me, which was great and, and wonderful on that film. Although Marianne had a, her her first assistant editor was already on that show, Imelda Betiong, um, at the time. But uh, Imelda was itching and dying to be an editor and be cutting. And so she, after that, right after that film, she moved on and, and started editing TV shows. And she was on Brothers and Sisters for a big, long time. And she's done a whole lot of different TV shows now and still going, um, which is amazing. So I, there was a gap there. I, did not, I didn't even recognize the gap, but Mary Ann did yeah. <laughs> because she obviously needed an assistant <laughs> oh, yeah. for the next film. Um, and the next film she did was this little small film called The Jane Austen Book Club. Mm -hmm. um, small, I say relatively small. It was like a $6 million budget or something. Mm -hmm. um, but it was still a studio film. It was a Sony film. And, uh, you know, she needed somebody to come on and assist her. And it was just going to be me and her. She sort of warned me at the beginning, you know, um, I'd love to have you do it. I, you know, she'd love to work with me again. And she was like, do you think you can do it? And I'm like, yes, absolutely, I can do it. In the back of my mind, I'm like, I have no idea if I can do this. Um, wow. But, um, but so, you know, that was sort of a scary leap of faith that she took and that I took. And then I also having the drive and ambition to want to be there and learn yes. was really my key with that show. Like I didn't want to let her down. I didn't want to let myself down. So I was constantly calling friends. How do you do this? How do you do that? Um, right. So, so uh, you know, it was that was a huge learning experience for me. And then the next film that we did was Star Trek, which was huge. Wow. Uh, I mean, you know, in comparison to Jane Austen, it was, it was you know, a visual effects behemoth. Um, wow, and um, so those those films obviously take a longer period of time and you've got a lot more support because there's more people in the cutting room that can help you as well. Um, but again, you still need to, it's still, again, a learning experience. So Marianne's been wonderful from the beginning. She was always very inclusive, which I found to somewhat be rare on, on, on previous films. Mm -hmm. um, uh, like she always had her door open uh, to where she was editing and she always was very um, happy to have people come in and she would talk to them and you know if it was a bad timing she would tell you and if it wasn't then you could hang out and learn some stuff from her and um, just on that level I think you know we got along really well and and you know she just um, I guess recognized that um, probably before I even realized and needed an assistant and wanted me to come on and and she, uh, you know, basically the rest is history. We kept working together and over the years, it just got more and more uh, like easier to do the assisting technical side. It, it's your job sort of as a first assistant editor to look after the editor and not have them bogged down or worried about technical stuff. Right. Like it really is kind of a shielding in a way to say, no, no, your job is to sit with the director and make a feature film and make, you know, make the story work and make the characters, you know, work and, and the acting good and, you know, the pacing to be right and the action scenes to be awesome and all that sort of stuff. You know, those things is what her job is. And if she's dealing with some minutia of some technical thing, then she's stopping down and that doesn't really bode well for what she's trying to do. So, right. so I always had, I always knew that going along. And so I always tried to just make sure that she was taken care of with what she needed and so that she could focus on what she really needed to focus on. And, and those are really important generalizations to make, but they're really important things for assistants to realize if they don't realize them that, that, um, you know, you, you, you do when you're in that situation where you're somebody's first, that's really your job. Your job is really to look after the editor for first and foremost and, and cover all the technical side of stuff. Now, some editors are different. I've worked with other editors as well, and some of them, you know, are 
more technical, technically savvy and they want to get in on it. And sometimes I've had to remind them, happy for you to have this conversation with me, but it is a waste of your time, <laughs> you know, seriously. Yeah, no, um, I know, I know. I mean, you know, Richard and I, uh, you know, Richard certainly talks about it in, uh, you know, feature film assistant editor, Immersion 1.0. And, uh, y- yeah. you know, I, I, you get to a point, I mean, I'm as, as technical as, as anybody, you know, having been very early on in terms of cutting on the Avid and digital technology. But there comes a point where it kind of like, it it's sort of like kind of falls away to a certain extent because you yeah. get more and more into the creative, you know, process uh, yeah. You know, the process of, of editing uh, and, and creating the story and working with the director uh, that, y- you know, you just don't have time to keep up with all of the, you know, technical, you know, developments and things like that. And, uh, y- you know, that's one of the reasons why we created the course. I was just so impressed with, you know, what was going on kind of like under the hood of the editing room. Uh, you yeah. know, the stuff that that Richard was doing, you know, you, so you've worked your way up to an associate editor uh, credit on on Force Awakens. I'm sure a lot of people want to know, so how does that happen? How does the working relationship evolve so you get a chance to cut? <laughs> um, well, I'm still trying to figure that one out. That's the joking. <laughs> that's the joke answer. Um, uh, no, it's true, though, um, to a certain extent. Um, no, Marianne and I, because we worked together for so long, I, you know, it's really... Um, you, you just have to be vocal enough in the nicest possible way to let people know what you want. Yes. Um, that's really the key phrase of all of this is if you want to be an editor and you're in a, and you're a first assistant in your position, then you got to tell people that you want to be cutting and you want to do this and you're enthusiastic about it. And, and, and not only that, you've got to start doing it, whether they give you scenes to cut or not, when you have spare time, cut them anyway. Right. Um, and then, um, you know, there's a sort of a craft involved in it where you could know the inside out of every film ever made and you could be one of those film geeks that loves film so much. But when you actually sit down to cut the film in Avid or in any software program that of your choosing, it's different. It's not the same as that film geek you think you might know how to do it all. You really have to learn it how to do it, screen direction and cutting back and forth. But not only that, it gets way more complicated than that because a lot of scenes don't have two people over the shoulder talking to each other. It's not that world. We don't live in that world. You know, when you work on a JJ film, there's 10 people in a room and the camera's dollying left and right and through the middle of them and back and up over the top of them and then around. And you need to know where to use those shots and how to put those things together in a way that flows and that makes sense and that doesn't pop the eyeballs out of your skull while you're trying to watch it because it's too hard to look at. Yes, yes. This is, that's another, you know, it, it's just a part of the craft that you get so much satisfaction of when you get this palette from a, an incredibly talented director to work from. And yeah. and it's you, you feel like a kid in a candy store to a certain extent because there are so many choices. There are so many ways to put together a scene like that that, yeah. you know, it's both terrifying and exciting and challenging at the same time. And that's true. Um, that's true. But um, so so but, uh, you know, getting back to the, the getting additional editor credits and associate editor credits, really, I mean, you know, those things happen because I was able to have more creative input in the editing room with Marianne. And, and those things happen because of Marianne's blessings. Yeah. You know, yeah. you, you could be working with an editor that is not interested in, in helping you do that. And, and, you know, I'm not, I wasn't asking Marianne to do that for me 10 years ago when I was on Mission Impossible 3 because I, I didn't know how to cut back then. Sure. Um, sure. You know, so there is a learning curve to it and you've got to pick your timing of it and you've got to, um, and you've got to keep trying, keep trying and be positive and, and, um, and do it. But you do have to have the support of your editor. Yes. Um, and, then, and then not only those things, sometimes you can have the support of your editor and then it falls in a heap because the studio will say, no, we don't do that yes. for our film. Or the producers will go, I have no idea what this person did and didn't do and I could take the editor on the show's word for it and we could do it or not do it. And so it, there's so many factors beyond just your little circle in editing that can stop things from happening too. Right. So, you know, as long as you're aware and a little a little savvy to the way, you know, the bigger picture of the way films work, especially studio films, then, you know, you can't be too disappointed when it doesn't happen, but you still shoot for it happening on every opportunity you can, you know? So 
So, and those credits ultimately do help to try to transition you out. I, that's what I've found so far. I've been finding that those credits do help you to try to stop being a first assistant editor and try to be cutting and be creative and be an editor on other films. So they're very important. They are important. Yeah, no, and, and that leads me to my, my next question. I mean, could you talk a little bit about the transition into getting solo editing gigs? I mean, what do you feel are the biggest challenges? I mean, the biggest challenges is that like anything in Hollywood, I'm making complete stereotypes now, is they typecast anyone, not just actors because the actor can only do drama or comedy. Um, they typecast everybody. So when you're surrounded by a bunch of all these people that know you're a really good assistant editor, that's what they see you as. They see you as an assistant editor. And they will continue to see you as assistant editor until you sort of break out of that mold. And breaking out of the mold is the hardest thing to do, but you have to do it. Um, and it's really, it's really hard to get those jobs. I'm still trying. It's still, it's still a work in progress for me um, to try to get, you know, more editing jobs. And 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 the big key thing that I, I've realized with it is you've got to stop assisting. And yes. that's tough too because it becomes it becomes a thing where you like you're sort of used to an income coming in yeah. and then it's almost like stopping and starting over like back to when I was a PA didn't know anybody in the in the town in the business and then try to get a job on a film and then try to get another job on a film. It's kind of like that. It's like starting over. Yeah, no, I, I mean, that's what one of my mentors and, and, you know, Richie Marks told me uh, when I wanted to make the transition. He said, well, you've got to put some money aside and you've got to stop taking assistant gigs. And, you know, that was tough for me because I had worked as an assistant for close to 10 years, uh, you know, and worked my way up to major feature films. And I was making a very handsome living. And by that time, yeah. I had a mortgage and I had, you know, um, right. you know, I right. had my first child. So, you know, it was it was scary and it was a challenge. But, you know, that was the advice of someone who had done it and done it very well. And I bit the bullet and, yeah. you know, it actually worked. You, you, you know, I, my first cutting job was for Roger Corman. It was only 700 yeah. bucks a week, but um, it was a solo credit. And, yeah, uh, you know, that's amazing. And, and you're on your way. Yeah, and you do have to you have to take a pay cut for sure. I mean, one thing you know, Marianne had told me that for years. She told me at some point you're gonna have to stop assisting. Um, although it's not in her best interest to tell me that because <laughs> then she loses me as an assistant. Yes. Um, um, and she's got to find another one. But there'll be another person out there that she'll find, um, which she already has. But um, yeah. having said that, there, there was I spoke to a different editor who I had met because my wife was working with him on a film, and it was Lee Smith. Um, oh wow! And Lee Smith, who just won an Oscar for Dunkirk. Um, nice. He's he's a great guy. I I I I've kn I know him because I've met him a few times. Fellow but I don't know him don't know him that well, but he's a fellow Aussie. Yeah. And it was easy to try strike up a conversation with him just purely on that. Yeah. Um, but, um, which is cool, but he, and he's a really nice bloke. And, and I started talking to him with my wife actually at one point, And he said to both of us, you know, don't wait too long. And I'm like, what do you mean by that? And he's like, well, don't get used to this great wage that you're getting as a first assistant editor on show after show after show, because you'll get used to it. And then you won't want to, be unemployed and you won't want to take a film as an editor and get paid a lot less. Yeah. So he said, don't wait too long. And that really struck a chord with me too, because it sort of amplified what Marianne had told me. And it, and then at some point it just sort of got to the point where I was like, they're so right. I've, you know, these are editors that are there, they're doing what they're doing. I'd love to be doing what they're doing. And so at some point I have to stop. And they, and they did it also. You know, they had to make that transition uh, from, right. from whatever sort of entry level they position they had. I, I remember Marianne as a music, uh, a music assistant and, and so forth. At some point, you just got to say, you know, now I'm going to do this. And uh, again, right. scary, uh, challenging, but ultimately rewarding. Um, so, yeah. but you are starting to do some cutting. You, you, you are starting to pick some stuff up. Yeah. I've been, I've been, uh, you know, I was lucky enough to get an agent through all of this, which is helpful. I think, you know, I think at some point we all need to do that, you know, as editors, if you want to be considered for jobs that you would never, never come through your way, uh, which definitely is the case for me. Um, but, uh, so, so, you know, I was lucky enough to jump on a, a smaller indie film for a little bit. Uh, about a year and a half ago and then you know since then I you know I've been editing um, 
sort of on a different side of things, which is also another good learning experience to do some pre-production cutting with previs and animatics and storyboards. I've done that now in a couple of films. You know, both of them have been Sony movies. Nice. So um, I shouldn't say much about what they are just yet. Not that it probably matters, but um, those, you know, hopefully will evolve to another job and another job. And then, you know, it's like, like I said, it's kind of like starting over, but at least now, you know a lot more people and you know a lot more things about how the, the editing works and and um, those are great things. You know, I had a boss a long, long time ago back in Australia when I was working at a cinema that said something to me like, you know, don't get too comfortable in your job. And I'm like, what do you mean like that? And And he wasn't talking so much about, you know, my cinema job. He was like just in life generally. He said to me, um, don't get too comfortable in your job for too long because about every three or four years, you should try to change it up. And I'm like, what do you mean by that? And he's like, well, he's like, you know, some people are career driven and they want to have the stable career thing for a certain amount of time. And that's cool. And, and what I think his point was that every three or four years, one should, generally speaking, just internally evaluate and go, am I where I want to be right now? And then shift gears. If you need to shift gears and you've gone off track, switch it up. You've got to switch it up and you have to be brave about it. I love that. Yeah, no, especially in these times, how, uh, yes. how fast things are changing and how, how the nature of work is changing. You know, they say people will have seven or eight jobs and, you know, young people might have six or seven or eight jobs in, in their lifetime these days. So, yeah, well, yeah. you can certainly do that within the film industry itself and even within post-production itself. Um, That's true. You yeah. know, uh, listen, Jules, it's been Awesome yeah. talking with you. Uh, it, it's been such a, a pleasure hearing about, you know, your background and your evolution as an editor. And um, I'm really excited for you. I think you're on the precipice of, a, of, a, of an exciting new part of your career. And uh, I wish you the best of luck in it, man. I know you're going to do great. And uh, I know our listeners are going to be really, really appreciative of you, um, you know, you sharing your journey, man. And uh, thank you. Oh, thank you very much for having me, Larry. I hope uh, hopefully some of the people listening to this will feel somewhat, you know, driven to go, you know, go go fight for what you want. And then, um, you know, one day I'll end up working for you. <laughs> you know, we all will. I, 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 I was just thinking that you might have uh, one of your future first assistants out there listening right now. So who knows, man? <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Thanks, thanks so much for having me, Larry. Thank Appreciate you again. It. Take care. Thanks. And thank you for checking out this first episode of the Master of the Workflow podcast, where we peel back the celluloid curtain for insights and wisdom from post-production professionals making the most impressive films and television today. We plan on doing this as a regular thing, so be sure to subscribe to our newsletter and download our free resources. And if you like what we're doing here, please share it with your friends on Twitter and Facebook. Okay, thanks a lot, and take care.